It's good to be with you today. If you uh, have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn with me to uh, Psalm 148. Uh, if you don't have a copy, we'll, uh, we certainly uh, will have one here for you before you leave today and would love to share one with you. Um, we also um, have printed the text in the worship guide and uh, uh, hopefully that will help you as well. Uh, we do provide the worship guides each week and uh, um, I was thinking this week about the purpose of our worship guide and I, one of the purposes is, is that if, if for some reason uh, we ever have uh, equipment failures, you will have the words to the songs and we thought we were going to have one of those situations this morning where we were going to be actually using our worship guide uh, for our songs and uh, but th- that's one of the reasons but we do have a printed worship guide each week and um, the purpose of the worship guide, it was not to resurrect some kind of old relic from, uh, from days of the past, from the bulletins of yesteryear. Uh, we really do print these hoping that it will help you know where we're going each week. Uh, and uh, I know that is important for some of you. And it's not to check the boxes to figure out, okay, when is everything going to be over so I can go home? Those of you at OVC know you'll go home and somewhere between an hour and a half and an hour and 45 minutes from when we start. So if you are here today for the first time and the hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes scares you, you may be wondering, uh, maybe I should have eaten a little bit more. You might even be thinking, well, maybe I want to check out now or maybe I should have checked out uh, when we sang the last song. I wish I'd have known that. Hopefully that's not the case, but uh, we ask that you would, uh, you would stay with us. We hope you're blessed, really. We just... Uh, uh, we are reminded of those things. But it is to help us know where we're going. And then we hope that you take them home uh, and it'll give you an opportunity to go back and see where you've been. Uh, the, maybe you sang a song today that you've never sang before or you were, uh, saw the lyric there or passage of Scripture. Then you have that worship guide to go back and work through. Um, I know I often do that. I use it devotionally uh, because I love to read hymns uh, during my devotion time. Uh, I love to go back and look at scriptures and see where we've kind of tracked along. Uh, we started this morning with the Nicene Creed, and there's a little bit of information in there in the real fine print, uh, and in your copies it's really fine. Uh, but we started there this morning because it tells us first and foremost that God is creator. Uh, that was not the purpose of the writing of the Nicene Creed, and we gave you a little bit piece of the history there, but it says that. We needed to hear that. We needed to make that statement this morning uh, because of what the psalmist is going to tell us here uh, in just a moment. Uh, You'll also notice in our worship guides each week, we we print our catechism of the week in there. So uh, I just ask if you would to refer back to that for just a moment. Um, It'll be important uh, as you see it on page five. What is the duty of those who are rightly baptized? So we've been working through our catechism, and part of that has been over the course of the last several weeks about the ordinances, one of which is baptism. And and the answer to that is, is the duty of those who are rightly baptized is to give up themselves to some particular and orderly church of Jesus Christ, that they may walk in the commandments and ordinances uh, of the Lord blameless. Uh, And our text for that comes from Acts 2, 41 and 42. Now, why do I mention that? 
um, catechisms are important. Uh, they teach us and help us begin to understand uh, who we are, what we're about, what we believe, and uh, that is stated. Uh, but I want to begin today with another catechetical statement. Some of you are familiar with the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. First question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Uh, many of you have that memorized and you could state the answer. Well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, man's created purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the reason the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, I had kind of at first glance when we hear that, it seems to take a profound purpose, that of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever and seems like it almost oversimplifies it, doesn't it? It goes back to eating and drinking. Whatever we do, if even when we eat and drink, we're to glorify God. Uh, but that's not what Paul's intent was. That was not the Holy Spirit's intent. The Holy Spirit is helping us understand that glorifying God in all things and enjoying Him in all things now and forever is connected with the totality of our lives. Even in the partaking of a meal or the drinking of a bottle of water, whatever it is, we should see and approach that in a way to know that we are having an opportunity to enjoy the things that God has given and we are to praise Him. We are to consider Him in all things. And this morning, our text, Psalm 148, approaches that same exhortation, an exhortation to praise Him in the same manner, in the context of the totality of our lives. I ask that you join me there as we hear this text. The psalmist begins, praise the Lord. And I want to push pause there just a minute. We see that word Lord, and oftentimes you will hear us say Yahweh. Understand that we are talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is why we begin almost every service with some kind of Trinitarian doxology, pointing us to praise God, because the psalmist here says, praise the Lord. So let's continue. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever and he gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. 
mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Join me as we pray. Father, will you help us in the next few minutes to understand the depths of your word, calling our mind back. And calling our hearts back to give attention to you. Help us, Lord, to understand what praise is. And then help us even more, as we have already been able to sing today, to trust you more, praise you more, to love you more. That even in these moments, that our hearts would be moved To be given to you. And that our eyes would be open to see you. And that our ears would be open to hear you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Here at the close of our Summer Psalm series, uh, we are going to give attention to this exhortation to praise God. To this end, we are focusing our attention on the chief end of man. As we begin, it may be helpful to consider what the scriptures mean when there is this exhortation to praise. What does it mean to praise the Lord? We have sung this morning, and in the course of that, certainly we have praised Him, at least in word, we have praised Him. But what is praise? What really is it? A lot of times we say, praise the Lord. What are we saying? What do we mean? Well, a simple definition of praise is, is that praise is the act of expressing approval or admiration for something. The approval of or the admiration of someone or something. That's what praise is. Hear that again. It is the act of expressing approval of and an expression uh, of, of admiration for something or someone. And there's something that precedes praise. When we hear that, we understand that there's something that goes before praise. Praise does not just come. Our being here does not automatically say that we have praised God. It is something that precedes praise. And that is that there is an actual admiration for and an approval of someone or something. When we come here and we talk about praising God, what precedes praise is our admiration for and our approval of Him. 
In other words, there is a condition of the heart that precedes praise. Praise does not just happen. The psalmist is pointing us to that, and there is a call to praise, and there's reasons given. In fact, there are two explicit reasons given, and we'll see those in a moment, but we have to know what precedes this praise. There has to be a delight of the heart, a love in our hearts for God if we are to praise Him. That's what precedes praise. So we stop and we just ask ourselves, is that what is in my heart? Do I love Him? Is there an admiration for Him? Is there a delight in God? Is that really a reflection of my heart? One of the things that uh, we would like to do soon, and we're going to get in here and play with the chairs some, I want us to be able to see each other when we sing. N not that I want to inspect you or you inspect me, but I love to see people sing, and I love to see people sing with smiles on their faces, expressions of, of their emotions, because it encourages me. If you are encouraged, then if I'm discouraged, then I will be encouraged in the course of that. I know those who lead here talk about uh, the various expressions that are given and shown uh, when we're singing. Some people sing, some people don't sing. Some people sing with just great joy. And, and then some people uh, don't always sing with joy. And it may be that it just at the moment you've got stuff going on that even the things that you're singing are, are, are not a true reflection at least of where you are. And it may even be that your faces don't even communicate uh, the fullness of the love that you have for God. But certainly in the course of this, what precedes any praise of God is a heart for Him and a delight for Him. A heart of love and an admiration for God. Delight precedes praise. In fact, I was thinking about it uh, in preparation for today. And uh, C.S. Lewis helped me a little bit with it, but I, I started thinking... Uh, you, there are those people that we, when we see them, we just tell them over and over and over again. We just can't tell them enough how much we love them. That's not a disingenuous thing. You know why? It is an expression of our love and our delight is not complete until we have said it. We want them to know that we love them. Because we have that much delight in our heart for them. We admire them that much. People that we find ourselves praising, it, it is not disingenuous when we deeply love and care for them and we are praising them. You know why? Because the delight is not complete until we have expressed it. To tell them, to let them know how we truly feel about them. And that's true of God. We often find ourselves cold toward God. We often find ourselves kind of non-expressive. One of the reasons why uh, we have said and we encourage uh, daily Bible reading and prayer uh, is it, it's, it's a great spiritual discipline. But even beyond that, it puts us in a place to where we are hearing about who God is. And as we see Him, my goodness, our hearts and our minds ought to be turned toward Him to express our love and our gratitude for His grace, for His goodness. 
because he is just that wonderful. I wonder if we think today, is God wonderful to me? Is God really wonderful to me? The psalmist says, praise the Lord. In fact, we hear 12 times in these 14 verses, praise the Lord. There's an exhortation, 12 times. Eight of those times comes in the first six verses to praise the Lord. Listen to it again. Praise the Lord. Is there any question about what we're going to, what, what the psalmist is trying to encourage us to do, to exhort us to do? He even points notice to the heavens. Now here is an, 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 an earthlying, okay, pointing to heaven, saying praise the Lord. Well, there is praise going on in the presence of God now that is far more exhilarating. In fact, there's not a moment in heaven that they are not gathered around God singing praises. The celestial beings are in his presence now, and the singing never ceases. The declarations of praise toward him are never ceasing. We have mentioned it as we've been working through the psalm, but if you thought about it, when we gather here, we were talking about it this past week uh, in our pastor's meeting, when we gather, we are assembling for the moment in a corporate gathering, and we are joining in what is taking place in heaven. So when we are singing praises to God, we are actually singing in unison with those who are gathered around the throne praising him. We are participating in that moment, in that very moment. We are participating with a larger congregation who see God much more clearly than we do. And they are expressing praise to him. It's one of the reasons why when we come and we gather to sing and to hear God's word, we should be moved by the fact that we have an opportunity and the privilege not an obligation, but a great privilege to join in what is taking place in heaven. We delight in God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless there is a shyness or fear of boring others Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, prayer, praise almost seems to be an inner health, an, an, an inner expression, an inner health made audible. In other words, things are right with us, are most right with us when we are praising God. How are things with you today? How are things with you today? How did your audible expressions just a moment ago reflect the inner soul heart health that is always regulated, always regulated by where you are with God and who you are with Him? The psalmist says, 
praise the Lord and then points to the heavens and notice the order in the heights, then his angels and all the heavenly host, and then he moves out of the very out of the very throne room of God, if you will, and then notice that we're still looking toward the heavens. He's still looking up, and he says, "Sun and moon and shining stars, the highest heavens." The waters, in other words, the atmosphere that even in creation, when those waters were separated in the course of the atmosphere, even those, he's looking into the heavens, recalling creation and all of those things that God has made. And he says to praise the Lord. Have you ever wondered how a star praises God? If the psalmist is calling on the stars to praise God, or at least looking and recognizing that the stars praise God, the sun praises God, the moon praises God. Have you ever thought about how that occurs? They don't sing, they don't speak necessarily, not, not audibly they don't speak. How does that occur? How does that occur? Notice, and those occur because they do exactly what they were created to do. Remember, we started with what is the chief end of man? We started with man because we're here today. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the chief end of man. That's for that's what we were purposed for. Well, the stars were purposed to shine at night. The sun was purposed to give light and warmth and to help in the growing process that God was creating as he created the earth. The moon shows the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. They do exactly what God purpose them to do. That is how they praise God, which would cause us to understand, even as it applies to us, if we are not living out our chief end, then what is not happening? If we're not fulfilling the purpose for which God created us for, then we cannot be praising Him. We cannot be praising Him. If we are not delighting in Him, and glorifying Him, and enjoying Him. And that is not pointing just to heaven and forever. It is pointing to today. Notice the psalmist is speaking of those things that exist at the moment when the psalmist is writing. He is pointing to a future day, but he's pointing to that day. To that day. And notice why he calls on these inanimate objects, if you will, of creation to praise the Lord. Look in verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. He commanded, they were created. And he established them forever and he gave a decree. What was that? He gave a decree for the sun to shine. And what does the sun do? It shines. 
He gave a decree for the stars to light up the sky. And what did they do? They light up the sky. And he gave them this decree in the purposes of his creation for the purposes of all other things, most especially those created in his image, to look and see his glory, to observe, and not to worship the star or the sun or the moon, but to worship the one who created the sun and the moon and the stars. And he says, praise. Notice what happens in verse 7. In verse 7, the attention shifts from the throne room of God and down all the way to the earth. And what does he say? He says, praise the Lord from the earth. And then he points to where? As deep as we know that we can go where there is life, the depths of the ocean. And he says, and all these great sea creatures and all the deeps and the fire and the hail and the snow and the mist and the stormy wind fulfilling his word. We were talking this morning as uh, Booney and Alina were, were rehearsing and we stopped and talked about our text and reflected on this and and Booney brought up the fact that just this past week, the wind as it blew and the rain as it came down and the tornadoes that were sparked off and all the things that took place in the course of this recent storm were all praising God in the very moment of those transactions. Why? Because God is the one who created the wind and he commissioned it to blow hard and he commissioned the rain to come down and it came and it did exactly what God commanded it to do and purposed it to do. You say, but it destroyed property. Exactly what God purposed it to do. It flooded homes. Exactly what God purposed it to do. Pointing to his power and his glory and his authority. And then I was also reminded as I read the news reports, what do people do? They respond to the hurt and losses that take place and they mobilize and they go to not set aside or undo what God did, but they do as men were called to do and they go and they help. Isn't it interesting in God's economy how all of these things take place? And in some way, as we fulfill those purposes, we praise God, which is what the psalmist says do in verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. That's where we praise Him from. Notice the mountains and the hills and the fruit trees and all the cedars and the beasts and all the livestock. He's working His way down in the course of creation, following creation order, mind you. Pay close attention to that. Following creation order all the way to when we get 
2, verse 11. And he says, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men, young women, old men, old women, children even, pretty much covers the gamut of all of us in here, doesn't it? No one is left out. No one is excluded. Why? I believe in part because we look back and we see that God has created all of us from nothing. What does that mean? What does that mean? He's created us from nothing. What does that, well, why does that bear upon us? What does that bear upon us? Well, one, we see that we were created for a particular purpose. I had a conversation with uh, Booney this week, and in the course of it, uh, a young man had asked him a particular question, and Booney pointed him back to the checks last week. And he said, I, 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 and I'm going to paraphrase this, he said, I, I know you think that, 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 that God is doing this, that he has a purpose for you. Then in your mind, that's what, we, that's what we're always told, that God has a purpose for you. Well, the fact is he does. He has a general purpose for all of us. We've already heard it, but let's rehearse it again. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So don't think that God's keeping you around just for something other than the fact that he has, been, he has shown his grace toward you. He has been merciful toward you. So if you're a believer here today, Dressed in that, that God has shown his grace toward you, that you may glorify him and you may enjoy him forever. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, hear this, that God's purpose for you in creation is for you to glorify him and enjoy him, period. That is for the young and for the old. So if you're waiting around for this some kind of special revelation about what it is you're supposed to do, stop waiting. Fulfill that created purpose for which God has made you. Fulfill it. Fulfill it. He has created you for that and he has, and we'll see in a moment, can and has enabled us to do that. So what does it mean in all of this when we say that God has created us? He's created us with this, with this purpose. The last two weeks we've looked at a particular passage of Scripture. I want to point you back to this. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And you may want to turn there if you have your copies of Scripture. But I'm just going to use, I'm just going to make this statement. It is what we know of as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we have this commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. God has created us. Seeing God for who he is opens up the door for us delighting in him and for praising him. That's the reason that we're continually reminded in Scripture over and over again that he is the creator, God, 
And then he is a covenantal God. He is a creator God and he is a covenantal God. That's what the psalmist tells us here, even now as we look at praising him as a universal act because God has created and made us to praise him. What does that mean? Well, first it means that he owns everything. He owns you and he owns everything you own. In fact, you really don't own anything. I remind Janice at times when I'm dealing with our stuff, my stuff, her stuff, she says, she says, what's mine's mine, what's yours is mine. That's how she puts it. Well, <laughs> well, my stuff, I freely give out. I just give it out. You know why? I don't own it anyway. I only have it because God has granted it, so I don't mind giving it away. Not that it doesn't mean something to me. It just means that if God has given it to me, just give it away. Let it be used. Whatever happens, happens in the course of it. If it doesn't come back, it doesn't come back. It's no big deal. I didn't have to have it. God gave it. The point is, is that God owns all of us. He owns everything. He owns you and he owns all that you own because he owns that. He owns you. What does that mean? Well, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is the Lord's and the world and those who dwell therein. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed a dry land. He made it. The psalmist reminds him in the course of worship, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you founded them. An understanding of that regarding our own lives will make a difference in how we even begin to approach God. And if we see Him that way, it will make a profound difference. In other words, at the very beginning of a, of a biblical worldview and a Christian worldview is to realize that there was nothing except God and then God created and made. And everything else after that comes and finds its rightful place and its rightful order in the course of that. Take that piece away and you get all the other lies and junk that come up and all the other stuff that we hear that is so foreign, so far removed from any and everything that Scripture has to say about who God is. It also means that he has absolute authority. If he's made everything, then he has absolute authority. He has, through the psalmist, through the Holy Spirit spoken, to praise him. He has the authority to say that. He has the authority to command. He has the authority to tell us what direction to go. He has that authority. But he also has the authority, since he has made everything, to do whatever he wants with whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. What does that, 
What does that mean? Well, that's foundational for our understanding when we're dealing with failures and successes, joys and tragedies, births and deaths, seasons of flourishing and seasons of persecution, hardship and difficulty and struggle. He has the authority to bring that about both. He's not commanded by anyone. He is not directed by anyone. No, he is the supreme authority. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Some of you will immediately recognize the text, but I want you to go there because Paul deals with this very issue when he is discussing a, a, a really hard, difficult subject. When he's trying to parse through uh, the, the salvation of souls, when he's parsing through this to teach us, he, he, he ultimately comes down uh, to this, and, and we will, not that I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to skip that teaching. The point is, is to see what he has to say. But in verse 20, this, this is coming about the end of Paul's argument. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter... Listen, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? At the end of our Connect group uh, this past week, we were talking about some life issues and we pointed back to this text to help us deal with, even with our own loved ones and our family members as we talk about them and their salvation, knowing that God is gracious and merciful and at the end will do His work. But we also recognize that in the course of these and all people being His created beings, we do not have the right to impose upon God. We have no rights. We do not have the rights to impose upon God anything God he is the supreme authority. That's what it means. You do not tell the potter how he is to fashion the clay when he is the one who has made the clay and he is the one forming it. And him being the supreme authority also means that God has the right, even the responsibility, as we said, to tell us what to do. And then we should do it. So, at least in the 148th Psalm, we would recognize that we are being told to do what? To praise Him because He has created us. To acknowledge that, first and foremost, He has created us and He has made us. But the psalmist doesn't end there. Look, if you will, in Verse 14. Well, back up in verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Now, I, I want to I point you to something here. Uh, we have worked through this several times. We worked through it when we worked through Exodus. 
We work through it when we work through parts of Genesis. We have worked through this as we work through parts of John. We work through this as we work through Peter, 1 Peter. We did so with Hebrews. My point is what I'm getting ready to say, and I want you to hold on to this. And if you've not read and studied this, you need to go back and look at it. When, when God came to Moses... And he revealed himself in the name the Lord I am. He was doing more than just telling him a name. He was revealing himself to Moses in a way that it would be an undeniable thing to ever say that God was not all in everything, holding everything together, the supreme authority, the one that gives life, the one that gives death, the one that judges, the one who speaks. That's what he was telling Moses. He said, Do, don't ever forget that I am eternal. Don't ever let your people forget that I am the eternal one. I have always been, I have never not been, and I never will not be. Focus on that for a moment, and then here, let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? Why? Why do we praise the name of Jesus? Well, we read it this morning, didn't we? He is the image of the invisible God. God sent him as an undeniable testimony that I am God and I have come to you. And I have come to you for a purpose. And what was that purpose? Look at verse 14. This is why we said that God is creator and God is a covenantal God. He said, he has raised up a horn for his people. Was he raising up a horn to blow a horn? Was he raising up a shofar to blow a shofar? Not just an image. Yeah, he was raising up a horn that would blow across all of time and all of creation so that there would be an undeniable, an undeniable evidence that God loves, God heals, God saves, God shows grace and mercy. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Remember, a couple of important things are going on here in Luke's account. One, he's pointing back that uh, the angel Gabriel had come, spoken to Mary, uh, the Mary that we rehearsed, the name of Mary that we rehearsed uh, in the Nicene Creed. Through the Holy Spirit and through Mary did Christ come, okay? 
He also comes and he speaks to Zechariah, who uh, is a, a priest, mind you, and who was there getting ready to carry out his priestly functions. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing for him. Uh, and as he finds himself carrying out this particular function of a priest, once-in-a-lifetime thing, uh, there's a whole lot going on, and he is promised a son, not Jesus, but John the Baptist. Zechariah comes back, and this is what the Holy Spirit prophesies through him, beginning in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Catch that. He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Who is he talking about? He's not talking about John the Baptist. No, he's talking about Jesus Christ, who has not even at that time been born. That's the reason that the scriptures tell us that he was prophesying. He was speaking of something that was, he's talking about it as if it is done. You know why it was done? You know why it had already been done in that sense? It's because God had purposed in eternity before there was ever, before there was ever an atom, A-T-O-M, and before there was ever an atom, A-D-A-M, before any of that, God had purposed that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill and complete all that God ever intended purposefully toward pointing to his glory in Christ and his grace in him, which was the highlight and is the highlight for all eternity of the expression of praise to God because in Christ in Christ, the fullness of the glory of God is seen. And what does the psalmist say? He said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He has raised up a horn for his people. He has responded to the world in love through and in Christ Jesus. And you say, how, how is all this possible? Jesus hadn't even come. Jesus hadn't even come. Because he had first said, let them praise the name of the Lord. Who had done what? When he came to Moses and he said, tell them I am Everything that would ever be, this is the reason why as we gather and we praise God, we should be astounded and moved full in one sense of joy, broken in the other sense that we are even in the presence of the I am who for all eternity had already purposed everything in Christ Jesus. 
Now, if you're here and you're vague about what that means, let me simplify this in the end. God is God, as Adam told us. And as we looked in our text this morning for our confession coming from Isaiah, God is God and we're not. Don't ever get that confused. Don't ever get that confused. You're here because of Him. You exist because of Him. You exist for Him and for His glory. Every one of us in here are, I'm just, we're sorry in no account when it comes to God in the sense that He is holy and righteous. And we are, we are grievous offenders of God and sinners. That's the reason why this is so incredible when we look at it. And God came in the course of history sending His Son to redeem us and to save us and to equip us and enable us that we might be able to enjoy Him the greatest, most glorious God that we would enjoy Him and be cared for by Him, protected by Him, and would be able to spend eternity with Him in praise and worship of Him. And there's nothing greater. And Christ came, as we read this morning from Ephesians, and he went to the cross and he finished that work of redemption. As we, as we spoke of, he finished the work and died on the cross for our sins. And as we look to him and come to him and trust him, fall on our faces before Him, we are able to experience and enjoy His presence. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And therefore the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Delight in Him. Delight in Him. And then express that delight in praise. Love Him. Express that love toward Him in praise. By doing what? By continuing to delight and continuing to love. To grow in delight. To grow in love. To grow in trust moving closer and closer to Him until the day comes that we breathe our last breath and we are ushered into His presence. And then in some time, whenever that day is for Him, to end all of this, to be resurrected and then to be able to assemble in His presence. There is nothing at all like it.
he has made it possible for us in Christ. The horn. The horn of salvation that he raised up. Let's praise him. If you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ, know that if he's speaking to your heart today, trust him. And then let this next song be your very first expression of delight and love for him. The first that will never, ever conclude for we will be in eternity with him expressing that praise forever and ever. Shall come. Let's pray together. We praise you, God. Thank you that you have made us and thank you that you have given us the Lord Jesus Christ. That we may enter into your presence with expressions of praise that ultimately feed the delight in our hearts that you have placed there for you. Receive our praise today, God, and enhance it as you bless us. By giving us a consciousness of your presence. Not just in this moment, but in every breath and in every taste of water and in everything that we eat or drink. We praise you. Amen.